I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. A few weeks into the coronavirus pandemic, articles started to appear in the media predicting the death of influencers. On April the 3rd, Vanity Fair asked, is this the end of influencing as we knew it? Less than two weeks later, Wired weighed in with, could the coronavirus kill influencer culture? And this was followed by similar pieces in titles including The Metro and Vice. Now, it sounds pretty ominous, and it wasn't helped by stories of influencers flaunting privileged backgrounds to spend lockdown in luxury or jump the queues for COVID-19 tests. But here's the thing. People hate advertising, and we don't really want to pay for the news. Magazine advertising is predicted to fall by 20% in the next two years, and the recent culling of BuzzFeed's UK and Australian news team shows what a precarious position the news media is in. So was there any truth in this speculation that the bottom had fallen out of the influencer marketing industry? As soon as things started to shut down and, you know, (laughs) things weren't closed yet, but we could tell it was going that way. So that sort of week of constant uncertainty when everyone was watching the news all the time. Um, That was when clients started to kind of not reply or go a bit wobbly because they were obviously the agencies and they were talking to their clients And then by the time lockdown was announced, the two biggest projects that I had on my table had been shelved till at least September. Emily Leary is a content creator, author and presenter. She told me that although the COVID-19 crisis was as big of a business shock for her as it was for the rest of us, behind the scenes there were some surprising effects that suggest the death of influencers was being blown way out of proportion. There was a really big change in what people were looking at online. So as soon as lockdown started, people's online behaviour swung massively. So we are not just talking your average weekend here. We're talking, obviously, people spending a lot of time on news sites because people wanted to know what was going on. And then thinking, what am I going to cook? How am I going to survive? How am I going to keep the kids entertained? And in that first couple of weeks, especially when the schools hadn't sent work home yet, Um, my traffic was just beyond words and and it's similar across the whole kind of food and family space I've spoken to lots and lots of bloggers so travel disappeared to nothing because the last thing people wanted to think about right then was holidays although those that traffic is coming up again now but food and family was just up about like 600 percent 700 percent thousand percent it was just crazy and it just went up and up and up It was during this spell of booming traffic to influencers' websites and social media profiles that the article started to appear in the media. So what impact did the pandemic really have? It didn't supply the match. It did, however, provide the the lighter fluid, the accelerant, fueling the, the fire of change now ripping through the whole of the advertising industry. I'm Scott Guthrie. I'm a strategic influencer marketing consultant Two or three years ago, uh, there was a lot of positive coverage in the media eulogising about influencer marketing as the new best thing. And there's this this tall poppy syndrome. 
I think secondly, there is a, a conflation between sort of influencer marketing and influencer advertising. You know, influencer advertising is that that, that short-lived tentpole campaign. Influencer marketing is that longer, longer burn. Uh, influencer advertising, you know, things like you know celebrities on on Love Island and, and that sort of thing. If both a content creator and an influencer marketing expert say that the industry is okay. Why has the media taken the stance that influencers no longer have a future? Both Scott and Emily suggest the same thing. I think part of the reason, dare I say it, is that influencers, content creators, whatever you want to call them, have taken away a lot of advertising revenue um, and earnings and credibility from mainstream journalists. And there's a little bit of a kind of a turf war over um, over that. So there were journalists, you know, who probably went to university and studied journalism and, you know, and sign up for a code of ethics, doing all of this stuff on a wage for a newspaper or magazine or online publisher. And then there are content creators online just going, you know what, I feel like writing about this, doing whatever they like. And that creates a lot of tension. And so while I'm sure there are journalists who write negatively about the influencer industry, genuinely, I think sometimes it is a little bit motivated by that coming over here, taking our jobs kind of mentality. So you have to look behind the, the headlines and, and really consider, you know, why mastheads are saying these things. And is it is it objective news gathering or is there something more, I think, financially minded behind sort of knocking an influencer marketing industry? I was approached um, by a journalist at the Financial Times at the end of last year to comment on on, on just this, on the, on the state of the industry. Her thesis was that this was a fad and it was going to be short-lived. Uh, I think this, the headline was something like, have we reached a peak influencer? And so I gave, I gave a lot of facts and figures to, 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 to counter that argument. And that, that article was published on New Year's Eve, so r- right at the end of uh, Q4. Ford wine to the end of Q1 this year, and the same journalist contacted me about how great influencers were in this time of uh, coronavirus and, and COVID-19 lockdown and the community they'd built around influencer marketing. So that, so there, there is a shift in change in some quarters of, of the industry. Emily is pretty dismissive when it comes to the prophecies of doom, and equally as assertive about the future of people who create and publish content on the internet and the reasons why influence exists in the first place. We're not going anywhere because ultimately almost all content creators started what they're doing because they like creating content. So there's a girl that I watch on Facebook right now, um, she's called Azzy, and I think she started off as um, a gamer. So, you know, the people who play games and they're kind of their pictures in the corner. Um, and she just chats and messes about on her Facebook videos. I, it might even be her second channel. Um, and I just like her because she's she's just funny and she's sweet. And, you know, she does reaction videos and things. And I've realized that, you know, I just watch her for that. So if she, you know, orders some, you know, so I don't know, she was trying some wasabi Kit Kats. When she'd been when she'd been traveling to Japan, and I was like, I want to try a wasabi Kit Kat, and it wasn't even an advert. Like that, that's influence. She's cool. She's she's really sweet, you know. And I just thought, you know, actually, you know, I want to try that. So I think you have to understand that influence only works because I like this person and I respect her, and, and she's funny. So if we take Emily and Scott at face value, and having known both of them for many years, I have no reason not to. Reports of the death of influence are absolutely nonsensical. But COVID-19 has impacted every single facet of life, let alone digital marketing. 
So how has it changed what's happening at present? Scott thinks it's enabled the industry to recalibrate. It's allowed us to return to our roots of authenticity and to storytelling. I think somewhere along the line, the discipline took a wrong turn and and it started to chase popularity over authenticity. And this spawned things like thirst posting, you know, that phenomenon where you, you post on social media simply to get more likes and more reactions. And I think those days are, are moving aside and they're moving aside because we're returning to authenticity. We're moving, we're moving back towards proper storytelling and the marketers and brands are becoming more savvy in how they measure the return on that influence. They're not measuring by theoretical reach. They're no longer measuring on engagement rates and numbers of likes. They're, they're measuring on something more substantive. But I think the industry is kind of moving more towards purpose-led storytelling rather than that transactional product-led um, selling of product. What I love about right now is that all of the expectations around quality of content and um, quality of like, production values has just disappeared because even you know Jimmy Kimmel and you know everybody you can think of all just shooting on their phones in their living rooms. So influencers, content creators, whatever you wanted to call them, are going back to their roots and just, you know, sharing great ideas, great thoughts, having fun with, you know, TikTok kind of cuts to jump from one side of the room to the other. Um, And that's actually the most entertaining content. So brands obviously will want a piece of that because, of course, you will. And influencer marketing can be really, really cheap. The thing is, if you haven't got any money for marketing, you haven't got any money for marketing. And that's not a reflection on the uh, on the online marketing industry or the influencer marketing industry. It's a, it's a reflection on the economy right now. This point about the economy is obviously something that will concern every brand manager and marketing director up and down the country in the next year or two. Although we're still in the grips of a global pandemic, we're also entering a global recession. But this, again, is an area in which influencer marketing can thrive, as proved at present. Influencer marketing is, is fleet of foot, uh, and it is, it is it, uh, production values are sort of, you can provide sort of television uh, values at very, very nominal costs. And you can, you can, you can change the sentiment very, very quickly and to, to a turnaround very, very quickly. I've always wanted to do cook-alongs on Facebook, but... I wanted to do them properly. So I was thinking, mm, probably need to do two cameras and then set it up through, you know, through the Facebook API so that it's all really good quality, edited for sound, good lighting. Um, and so I'd never done it because that's a lot of work for a live broadcast. Um, you know, I just stood my phone up on, on the worktop, brushed my hair a bit, and we went live. Um, and so that presented a different kind of opportunity for me for content. I've been having a lot more direct interaction with followers. They know who I am. Um, my daughter, sometimes my son joins in. They wear a mask because I don't show their faces. People have been really nice about that. We just make really silly masks, but no one's kind of gone show their faces or it's weird. They've been great about it. And then a couple of brands came forward and wanted to sponsor. So they said, can you make something with our brand of coconut so well yeah yeah we can so again we were really really authentic about it you know we're really excited we've got a sponsor today which makes it a lot easier for us to bring you this content and you know really really you know we are being paid to work with this brand you don't have to use this all the brands were fine about me saying if you can't get desiccated coconut you can use xyz because we have to be realistic and so brands were being a lot more flexible 
as well. So it's brought all these kind of new ideas for content and the kind of ways that brands can work together, which is all great. But let's be realistic for a moment. Now, we're not in a normal situation. So will there be a role for this type of authentic, down-to-earth, gritty content in a year's time? Personally, I very much hope so. And I've loved the likes of Jamie Oliver making a TV show on his mobile and Joe Wicks's YouTube workouts, all from home. I think there'll always be two types of content. There's the aspirational stuff. And I have travel blogger friends who, they look like they're not doing anything special when they're walking around. They're kind of like, they fly their drone for 20 minutes and you know they're, they're, they're tapping away on their phone, taking some pictures. They might film themselves jumping off a wall six times. Um, when you see the finished video, you think, these guys are professional filmmakers. Like every little mess about they were doing, they knew what they were doing and they had a vision for this absolutely beautiful piece of finished content and everything's got a really good beat to it. There are people who will go from having started rough and ready with their Instagram stories and the TikToks and their stuff in their kitchen. They will progress to that level because especially young people who've grown up with this kind of thing, they're just born for it and some are brilliant at it. But... What I think is really interesting about the rise of TikTok, every time content creators get more and more beautiful and aspirational with their content, a new platform comes up that takes it right back down to gritty. So, you know, we had beautiful Instagram stories take it right back down to wandering around without your makeup on. You know, stories got beautiful. Now we've got TikTok with people just messing around. And so it's obviously what people want we're starting to realise that, yes, there's a place for the beautifully produced content. I love a beautifully styled food photo, as you know. <laughs> there's a place for the rough and ready stuff too, and people do really like it. I think that the power of the storytelling outweighs sometimes the power of the production values. I do think that when we get, get beyond this, we will we will expect better production values. But I also think we'll... We, when we watch television or, or the producers of television programs, we'll think, what, you know, we'll sort of monitor what worked and what didn't didn't work. It will be kind of more immersive. Uh, and creators have always learned from sort of traditional television production. But I think on the flip side of that, television production is increasingly learning from what social media creators produce. If anything, the current crisis may have enabled the influencer marketing industry and content creators themselves to reset. I talked in the last episode of the podcast about a similar impact on social media and how the reputations of the social networks may be revived if they can help the world through the next year or two. In a weird sort of way, COVID-19 may actually have provided an opportunity for the influencer marketing industry. It's afforded us the recognition as a channel for engaging with select audiences. So influencer marketing, I think, has become recognised as an official channel now uh, uh, to, to reach parts of the society where traditional media has failed to, to tap into. So you've got the Department of International Development now works with influencers to share public health advice. You've had open briefs both from the UN and from uh, World Health Organization for influencers to share important messaging around how to wash your hands effectively and how to pr practice social distancing. The, the Finnish government uh, recently reclassified social media uh, influencers uh, as key workers 
because of their ability to tap into those hard to reach uh, population, not not no longer served by traditional media. So yes, you know, I think there is a there is a there is a, a new way of looking towards influencer marketing. And what about influencers themselves? Has COVID nineteen changed the role of influence? So I think that there's kind of a a growing up coming of age that you have to do as an influencer when you're finding your own voice. So you start off uh, creating content for whatever reason. And then as brands start to get interested and as you start to fall in with a crowd of other content creators, then you kind of try to copy what they're doing and fit in with the crowd a little bit, even if you don't mean to. And then you find your own voice. And for a lot of content creators, they've been so successful that the influence of the media and brands and this, that and the other has had a massive effect on how they produce content and what content they feel they can produce. So because brands aren't as involved at the moment, it's been really great for those people to kind of go back to their roots, you know, that amazing moment where you realise, actually, I can just be myself and do what I want to do. And so I think that those content creators who are experiencing this right now they will probably have learned from it. I mean, even me, and I've been doing it 10 years, and so I'm past caring really what brands think. They'll have to like it or lump it. But (laughs) yeah, we'll probably learn from it. But the people who are coming in afterwards and and getting kind of wooed by the gloss and the money, they probably, probably won't. We've looked, especially on platforms like Instagram, we've looked to influencers for aspiration. Uh, and I think now, increasingly, we, we're turning to influence for inspiration and we're looking for education as well. Um, and I think hopefully that 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 will remain with us uh, afterwards. I think we're looking you know, when we when we look when I look at uh, social media influencers, I'm looking for, to be entertained and educated. I'm not I'm looking for inspiration. I'm not really looking for aspiration. And I hope that 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 will maintain. Uh, and, you know, we're you know at the moment we are we're looking for distraction we're looking for distraction away from the horrors outside on the other side of the front door of COVID-19 and the economy and quite frankly we're looking at the horrors on the inside of the front door the horrors of the reality of family life and being locked down for seven or eight weeks with our loved ones where we don't normally spend a a fortnight uh, around the pool in the summer and 10 days at Christmas so you know so we're looking for we're looking for this distraction Um, and I think I think that that will continue. You know, I think of what an influencer is is a a community custodian. They listen to what their their, their community likes and what it doesn't care for. They produce more of what the what the community likes and sort of eliminate future content, which 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 is kind of off message. And there's that symbiotic relationship, and that's why it's so important that a, that a, an influencer only works with brands. That sort of that mesh with their uh, their values um, and outlook on life, because that because if they don't, they will be branded as a sellout by their by their community. I've always been a useful content creator. Generally, the content I produce is either a recipe or an idea or something to do. So it's the kind of thing that I want people to look at and think, oh, might try that. And so I'm in my element a little bit in this situation because my immediate response was, how can I be helpful? So whether it's helping people figure out what they're going to cook with what's left in their cupboards or cook-alongs, whatever, I was like, right, okay, I can be helpful. A lot of influencers and content creators who probably didn't do that so much, they were just kind of like, holla, I'm by a boat. Um, And now kind of thinking, okay, well, well, what do I do? And some have decided to speak more openly about mental health, their own and their fans 
which is great, really great. You know, um, some have talked about kind of what they're doing around their house and, and how they're feeling. Some have decided to open up their lives a little bit more. So let you see their their family or their home in a different way. So everybody's had to kind of change what they're doing. If it will always remain more useful, I don't know, because there's always room like on TV for, you know, for your kind of gardening program that shows you, you know, the best perennials and then and then the absolute rot, your brain entertainment of people, you know, fighting in sumo suits. And there's a place for both. So there will be forever in the in the online world, I think. So on to the big question. Does this mark the end of the Love Island influencer? You know, people feel they get to know them on TV. And then they're kind of immediately given the baptism of fire of, okay, now you are a content creator and now you have to create content that will entertain and, and, and inspire. And that is a heavy burden to bear. So a lot of people obviously that's, that are applying these days are already kind of qualified and they've probably already been doing it for years. But yeah, I, I don't think they're going to go, but I think um, maybe just maybe our expectations on them will be a little bit less now that we've kind of pulled back from everything looking perfect. You can get in touch with both Emily and Scott on Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.